and uh, I'll spoil the ending of my own talk by giving you the end of Tom's talk, which is to say I have faith in you guys too. Um, specifically, I have faith in you because you're nerds. I know this is uh, uh, it's a design thing, right? Design and creativity. Uh, yeah, whatever. You're nerds. Um, <laughs> you, yeah, I know. You're, you got those cool glasses and you got a, you know, iPhone 4. You're a nerd. Um, I know because I'm a nerd uh, also. I've always been a nerd. Uh, and there are numerous problems with being a nerd, not least of which is you don't necessarily want to be a nerd. And it's hard to change once you're a nerd. And the more you want to change once you're a nerd, the harder it gets. And that makes you more of a nerd. And so, you know, good luck. But um, there's actually, I think, a lot of good things about being a nerd, too. Um, you guys are mostly design people in some form or fashion, I gather. Is that fair to say? Yes? You can hear me, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you... Uh, have you seen uh, Gary's uh, movies, Helvetica and Objectified? Have you seen these movies? Um, they're amazing. Um, I don't have any reason to say this except to show off. I had dinner with him at South by Southwest, no big deal. Um, <laughs> Jim Kudal brought me. I'm sure he was really sad he brought me. But he was super nice and really cool. And I, I told him the anecdote that I'm about to tell you. And he really took it like a man, which is awesome. Uh, He's such a great guy and a talented guy. Yeah, you haven't seen these. These are these wonderful documentaries. I think he's got a third one planned. It's about design. The first one is about Helvetica, which is a typeface you might have heard of. And uh, the second one is called Objectified. And it's really, it's about industrial design, but it's kind of about the process of making stuff for people, which is actually pretty interesting if you're a giant nerd. And the um, third one, I think, is about cities and how cities come together. But he has a really a neat style, and uh, it was really nice to meet him. But... Um, I have to tell him a personal anecdote. I didn't have to, I, probably because I was drinking. But um, <laughs> I figured I'd try it. I, I said, I got to tell you, I, I really liked your movies a lot because I'm a nerd. But I watched them with my wife, who's normal. <laughs> and she was angry. <laughs> it's not because my wife is angry. It's not because she's a Philistine. She, was a, she studied film. She's really smart. She likes stuff. But as Helvetica progressed, Helvetica in particular, it seemed like everybody's eyeglasses kept getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> and everybody just got more pinched and sounded and was making tinier and tinier and tinier distinctions as the movie progressed until she, like, she had to leave. And then I don't know how I got her to watch Objectified. I think I might have tricked her. I might have told her it was The Wire or something. But um, <laughs> Early in the film, there's a scene that's just indelible to me. And I, I, I don't remember the man's name, but it's a gifted designer guy. And he talks a lot about a toothpick at the beginning of this. Do you guys remember this? I think it's a Japanese toothpick. He's got this, he's got this, he's got this toothpick. And he, he's holding up the toothpick, and he's, he's explaining in excruciating fucking detail why this toothpick is the way it is. It's a sliver of fucking wood. <laughs> no, it's not. It operates in a certain cultural context. And to really understand why this toothpick is awesome, you have to listen to this. I thought it was kind of cool. I mean, but dead honest, it was kind of pushing the envelope for me, too, you know? Um, 
I mean, just as a side note, uh, there's the point in Helvetica, Vanelli, is that the guy's name? Where Vanelli is explaining that basically my wife goes, so basically there's this guy who's really famous because he keeps taking the same font and making logos out of it and charging people. And I went, yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> I, I think he didn't want to put the eagle on, a, on the American Airlines logo. He just thought it should just be pure Helvetica. I bet you guys love that, right? Some of you? Did you watch that? And did you just feel like this is my people? This is my porn. This is, this is finally, finally, somebody understands. No, it's not, it's not accidents grotesque. It's not Ariel. It's Helvetica. It's not Helvetica, no way. It's Helvetica. Right? Because you see the difference, right? You've seen, you've, every example I've got involves John Gruber, so forgive me. But you've, you've certainly seen where he, this descender is flat, and this one is at a slight angle, and it makes me angry. Because you care, right? Because you're a nerd. You care about this stuff. If you saw, you saw, how many times have you watched a movie? I don't, you know, don't, you don't have to raise your hand because you're not going to do it. You're going to act cool. But how many times have you watched a movie and you go, oh, yeah, right. Bank Gothic existed in 1845. <laughs> nice kerning. Do they make it for people with eyes? Because you care intensely because you're a giant nerd. Now, I have an operating definition of, of these terms that's purely my own, but I, I hope they're meaningful. If you hear people use geek and nerd somewhat interchangeably, which I think is okay as long as you're not a nerd, because if you're a nerd, it means a lot to you to, to understand what that difference is. That I, I describe it as like a geek is, is, a geek is somebody who, who can fix your computer, and a nerd is somebody who could fix your computer, but first he's going to talk to you about your computer a lot. <laughs> And in particular, so, um, okay, first, um, you know you could be running Ubuntu. You could be running several flavors of Linux right now if you chose to. You would not have these. <sighs> That's a nerd, because the cute girl just wants her computer fixed, and the nerd wants to talk about Linux. Nothing wrong with Linux, but if you're a nerd, you do that, right? If you're a nerd, you know whether Han shot first and what's canonical, right? If you're, if you're a geek... What do they call it? Train spotting, right? You could be somebody who just has a weird occupation, that thing you're really into, that nobody even needs to know about. But if you're a nerd, man, you're flying that freak flag. You know, you're getting your picture taken with goddamn slave Leia. Lots of slave Leia's. You're going to buy the pass and you're going to go because you're a nerd. And uh, I want to talk to you today about, about why that's kind of awesome and how it's a little dangerous, but mostly why it's awesome. Because I've been, I've, well, I'm, I am that. <laughs> I, I get obsessed with things. I get, like, just excited about things. And I think, I suspect a lot of you do, too. You paid some money to come into a theater when it's perfectly nice outside. I mean, what's wrong with you? <laughs> do you not have people to talk you out of this? Because, you know why? Because you, you care. Sorry. I know I'm supposed to be a dick. But you do. You guys, you guys care about stuff. And, like, how could that ever be anything less than awesome? Because that's what it's about. You notice that all the people who aren't nerds at work, a lot of the ones who kind of suck and bring everything down are just, they, they aren't nerds, they, and they don't care. They don't, doesn't matter to them that, you know, that's clearly an, a dubbed voice that they're putting onto that character, or that that accident's grotesque, that's not really a lot of that. But you do care. The problem is not everybody does care. Um, I learned this uh, every day for the last 43 years, more or less, I'm um, thinking in particular of a time when um, my nerdiness 
was a, you probably haven't heard of this, there's a game you can play called, uh, it's called Dungeons and Dragons, you probably haven't heard of it. Um, <laughs> it's a fantasy role-playing game that's pretty obscure, so. Um, but there, there I, this is not a made-up anecdote. <laughs> there was a time in my life when I was kind of surprised that like a ninth grade girl wasn't more excited about the fact that I'd gotten my paladin up pretty high. <laughs> not with that bullshit where you just kind of make something up at 10th level. I'm talking I started with the bugbears and I went up to the gelatinous cubes. Look it up. <laughs> no, he has to be lawful good. He's lawful good because he's a paladin. He's a paladin because he's lawful good. He's not a ranger. He's not chaotic good. Where are you going? <laughs> but there's a number of problems and a number of challenges and a number of interesting things about this, I think. It starts to get into my regular wheelhouse, which is thinking about how we work together and how we work by ourselves, for that matter. And, and nerdiness brings us so many wonderful things, but it also brings us a certain set of challenges, right? You may, have, you may have found this at work from time to time, where you either, A, find somebody who is not as nerdy about something as you, or, as is more common the case with the people who aren't here, Somebody just really doesn't care about this thing as much as you do. You know what, guy? I just want to. I just want to print. I just. I don't know what a driver is. I don't care. I just. You know, you just get so mad. Like, how can you not care about that? Well, that's the first problem. The first problem is that even if they don't look like it, everybody cares about something. Some people just care about stupid shit. But 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 you know, I mean, with all respect. But but um, <laughs> not important stuff like paladins and Star Wars. <laughs> but. Do you know what I mean? Do you ever get into conflicts with people? Not conflicts, I don't mean to put it negatively, but do you ever get into things where you're not intensely obsessed with caring about the same thing? This probably never happens to you, right? No, probably not. Um, but what's funny about that is sometimes even you have to be several different nerds at once. So if you make websites, which it sounds like a couple of you probably do, back when I started doing this stuff in 1995, you had one kind of thing, and that's called being a web designer. We didn't have any interaction design. We didn't have any. You know what the difference is between a web designer and an interaction designer? About 60,000 bucks a year. Um, <laughs> but no, my hand of God, you did it all. We did it all. I mean, it was all, it was, we did, what was JavaScript? JavaScript was like a clock that didn't work in Netscape. Like, that was JavaScript. <laughs> Seriously, Netscape, my job was Netscape. My job was basically putting in all the font face equals tags so that tables would work, international symbol for HTML, on, uh, on, on Netscape. Do you remember this? Do you remember? Because anything that was inside of a table would render. Of course, because you're nerds, and you cared. And it took you hours to do that because it was stupid. You didn't have the networked world. You had a thing where you had to do all this, create all this double your code because of this stupid thing, which is vexing. But aren't there times when your inner nerd has to kind of fight itself? Isn't there some part of you where the design, the purely design nerd, goes, this is a thing that we can make that would be really beautiful and useful? Maybe the kind of high-level design nerd. Let's put it that way, right? And there's a part of you that is maybe the UX nerd, where you've got to go, well, OK, I want to make sure that, regardless of how we do this, it would work out well in these different contexts. Maybe you're an accessibility nerd, too. You say, well, I want to make something that, that works well for everybody. You see where I'm going with this? There might even be a part of you, God forbid, that's a business nerd. That's to go, we have to eventually get something like money for doing this. <laughs> I, think, I think one of the things that makes nerdery difficult 
is that even if you realize you're a nerd, you're still going to have to encounter stuff that falls outside of your nerd group, and you're going to have to deal with people who don't care about what you're nerdy about. You may have found this from time to time in your experience. It doesn't mean you should be less nerdy or you should care less, but it does lead to an interesting set of challenges and opportunities in douche terms uh, for stuff that can actually be pretty great. Because I, I think most of the great stuff that comes along that, I, that I've, I haven't been involved in that much great stuff, but the stuff I've seen that turned out great um, was usually because a pretty small group of people were nerdy about pretty similar things, enough that they could support each other to do what was needed, and they learned to, unlike the Democratic Party, overlook all of the minor differences to be able to do the stuff that they really wanted to do. Look it up, Lakoff, Don't Think of an Elephant, hell of a book. Because um, really, seriously, don't we do that sometimes? Don't we undermine ourselves? Uh, if you guys ever heard that stupid podcast I'm on, You Look Nice Today, I try to work this phrase into every episode, um, the narcissism of minor differences. Have you ever heard this phrase? It's a Freud, uh, phrase. Freud didn't invent this phrase, but he popularized it, much like the penis. Uh, when he wrote uh, in Civilization and Its Discontents, and Its Discontents, he talks about this phenomenon that it's so great when you go to college and you learn the name for something that's two villages that are essentially identical, like really, really, really like it's the same village. They somehow find the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest little difference, not so they can despise each other, but to help provide ground cover for why they already despise those guys, right? See also fixie riding hipsters, right? You're always coming up with some reason some other hipster is more annoying than you. Um, and even on a team where we're working really hard with each other, if we're not careful, it is pretty easy to let the nerdery get ahead of us and to not really think about what everybody else is, is nerdy about too. I think we all, if we all stick with this long enough, we get good at it or better at it anyway or less bad at it. But think about how that happens. Well, first of all, I, I just want to underscore this. Like, I like being a nerd, and I like being around nerds, because they do care. And I would posit, and I, I'm, I'm ready to be disabused of this if this turns out not to be true, but I think you have to become a little bit of a nerd to get more than basically good at anything. Why? I won't get into this whole theoretical thing, but there's this wonderful thing called the Dreyfus model of skill acquisition that I'm kind of obsessed with. And it's just basically this idea about how we get better at stuff. Long story short, there's all kinds of things about getting good at stuff that's really hard for anybody to understand, right? I mean, have you ever been the person who has to train a new person at something, and they don't even really have ears to hear what you know? Like, if you go straight into the stuff that's, like, your best stuff, they're just going to be glassy-eyed and, like, passed out and think you're a giant nerd. Because we can only really teach anything when we understand what we know, we understand what they know, and we understand the delta in such a way that we can say something that people have ears to hear. Does that make sense? I know it works for me both ways. There's been lots of times where think about, think about just being a human. And you hear this, this your whole life. Believe me, when you, if, if, if you have the misfortune of becoming a parent, you will hear this. You will feel this. I'm kidding. It's great. But <laughs> there's all this stupid shit you find yourself saying. And you go, where did that come from? You're like, well, because it's true, and I just didn't believe it for 40 years. Does that not end up being true with a lot of your work, too? When you start out with anything, you start out with a baseline amount of nerdery that gets you rolling. You go out, and what do you do? You download a bunch of fonts. You know, you, you know, torrent a copy of Photoshop or whatever you kids use today. But you go out and you grab all that stuff, and you make a band flyer or, you know, you make a naked lady or whatever it is you want to do. But you, you, you keep proceeding with that. 
Now, if you stay really involved with that, do you notice what happens fairly quickly? Well, if you're good and you actually do evolve, you start realizing it's not about the fonts and it's not really about the Photoshop. Yeah, it is, but it isn't. And if that statement didn't make any sense, that's okay, it will, right? Segovia, Segovia could have played a cigar box with rubber bands on it and it would have sounded great. Picasso was somehow able to make the Demoiselles of Avignon even though he never could tag his to-do list. He somehow managed to make paintings. It's amazing to think about. But you discover at a certain point of your proficiency that that nerdery it gets ahead on, and you're starting to really make progress, and you're learning, and you're moving forward. And I think that at a certain point in that difficult middle period of expertise, that's what drives you. It's the fact that you're a giant nerd, and you're consuming, you're living this all the time, and you're picking all of this stuff up. Does this, does this make any sense to anybody? Because I know it's been true for me. I'll start out with something as simple as flipping through a book, and then I'll just go down this rabbit hole, sometimes for more worse than better. But if you really allow that stuff to sink in, you can pick up a lot really quickly. But then a really interesting thing happens, I think. One problem with being a nerd is it's easy to become slightly isolated. To, I think, I will speak for myself, it's easy to become isolated. Um, because a lot of us that are nerds, we didn't start out like you know, getting invited to the skating parties. We spent a lot of time you know, playing, playing uh, you know, Stargate, let's say, and, uh, you know, going home and watching, uh, well, looking at Victoria's Secret catalog, but that's not important. Um, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's a, it's a catalog. But what keeps you driving forward and getting better at it? What keeps you getting better at it is doing it a lot and being around people who do it better than you. And so that does require a certain amount of getting outside of your own nerdery, right? And I think, I think the funny thing that happens is um, I would never want to try and dissuade you from being a nerd. I mean, I, in fact, I, I think it's cool to be even more of a nerd. What, what I think ends up being really fascinating, though, is what happens if you become a nerd who, the way I put it is, if you kind of start watching the horizon as a nerd, right? Because when I say, you know, you can become insular or isolated, there's really no way to inoculate yourself from needing to evolve your skills or the way you look at the world. I, I know you know that, but... You'd be amazed how many people wake up one day and the thing that they're nerdy about isn't as relevant as it used to be. Um, an example that I think about a lot, I imagine a couple of you probably have used Apple products from time to time. Um, they launched you know, the famous Super Bowl ad, 1984, right? Where the lady comes in with a hammer and throws it at the big, big brother. Um, I've tested this very unscientifically. And almost everybody under 35 that has seen that ad but wasn't, you know, sentient really <laughs> around at the time, they think that ad's about Microsoft. Some of you might think that ad's about Microsoft. Who's that ad about? IBM. It's about IBM. Is IBM still Apple's competitor? Wow, why did they, why did they abandon such a great commercial? Well, if they had decided that they wanted to keep solving the same problem for the rest of their life as a company, we wouldn't have iPads today, right? They found a way to get outside of, I mean, have you ever hung with Waz? He is a nerdy man. You understand he has like a car with extra segways just in case he encounters someone who wants to play Segway polo? <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I'm, so, I'm so conflicted. I really want to congratulate that, but that's pretty weird. That was a nerdy company. But what, what did they do? They kept redefining what kind of business they wanted to be in. 
this is kind of a different talk, but it's my feeling that one reason Apple frustrates so many companies is that they're really picky about who, who they'll let be their customer. Um, a lot of companies are trying to chase these backs, these people running away. And Apple instead is kind of saying, hey, you, face, you can come over here if you want, but I'll be fine either way. And I think that drives people crazy. They've been really good at finding nerds like me who will spend a lot of money for something they could go buy, you know, on a website somewhere. But that took an extraordinary amount of nerdiness to get to where they were, but then even more nerdiness to know when to stop and to know when to look at other things. And just as an example, this is a very, very broad thing. I apologize if you were at Apple in 1995, but um, look what happened to Apple in the 90s. They languished as they tried to do one thing that they used to do well, right? And so what did they do? You had the Mac VX, and you had just all of these, these execrable computers, and there was an education line and a business line because they thought they were the Macintosh company. To cut a long story short, I think anybody who is a nerd benefits from figuring out what to be nerdy about next as well. And I'll give you a specific example with regard to design. Um, this is, I bet this is a story that you guys could tell too. I had a pretty good pal who, like me, came up in this stuff seeing the code as this pile of stuff over here, right? This is, this is what BBEdit is for. This is what GoLive is for. We made the code, right? Remember we used to call it bed and breakfast because of all the break tags? Bed and breakfast. There's all the code over here, and then over here is all the art. Do you remember this? It used to be you'd sit there and you'd go into fireworks and slice it up and just crap it out, and that would be your website. Well, it's funny, because she started doing this stuff after I did, but she stuck with slicing up Photoshop for a really long time. And through the dot-com days, she was still doing fantastically well. She did really well. Why? Because she's a really gifted designer. She was a gifted visual designer, but she wasn't a nerd. She didn't geek out about learning like where all of this stuff was going, but much more importantly, she kept thinking that that was going to be okay for all time. She stopped looking around. Do you know what I mean? And I don't know if you guys remember this, but, but I would say sometime 2003 to 2006, it's hard to put your finger on it, but boy, things cha started changing pretty fast. And all of a sudden, you could do a lot more JavaScript than make a broken clock. But she kept cutting up Photoshop. And eventually, she didn't have work anymore. It's not a cautionary tale, per se. But I think it's a pretty good example of what happens when you become really, really good at something, but then stop noticing what else you maybe should get good at as well. I think one of the best things that comes out of expertise of any kind, this, show, this is my total bias for liberal arts school. This is why I think, I don't know, I think, I think everybody should get to go to liberal arts school. I mean, you drink and you meet people and you dance, and you need that, you know? You gotta go do your laundry. It's good to learn that. But you also learn how to learn, right? You in, an, in a mentored environment. And if you are a nerd and you've gotten by in a really broken public school system, let's say in Central Florida, uh, it can be a real wake-up call to suddenly be thrust into this piranha tank of people who are way smarter than you and professors who don't think you're that clever. That was a terrifically painful, awesome, nerdy thing for me to have happen because I got denerded on a lot of stuff real fast. And I learned where I was way behind. I think there's a certain amount of sensitivity that it's useful to have to what the next thing might be. And I'm not talking about all this kind of like really super pie in the sky stuff. I'm saying, thank God, at least I'm okay for now. Do you guys ever have that feeling though? I mean, think about this somebody who picked up a little bit of Rails four years ago versus somebody, what, 
did Fortran. I don't know. But, but, you, but, but one direction ended up being better than the other. And how did they know? Well, maybe they got lucky or maybe they're keeping their eyes open. And I think, why, is the, why am I obsessing about this? Because I'm a nerd. But also because this is your basic job. And at this point, we do pull straight into my wheelhouse because this is about knowledge work. And the thing that makes knowledge work hard, in my opinion, is that not only does nobody know what you do, not only does anybody not really know why and how you do what you do, like whether you're good at it, but they don't really care. They really like don't care. Um, in my experience, when you want to explain to them why they should be running their computer differently, they just go, could you just go ahead and fix my computer? People don't want to know that. Um, but it pays for us to, to, to want to know the stuff that other people don't want to know. Stuff that may seem irrelevant right now, things that just may seem like minor trends. And believe me, I am not just saying sit around and read Wired Magazine and think that's going to make you smart. But I'm saying keep, keep your ears open and listen to other nerds in different fields that aren't yours. Because that ends up being really, it's just good to expose yourself to those other things. But um, at the heart of it, I think, I don't know if this is precisely Peter Drucker's definition. I haven't had a chance to chat with him recently. But um, he defines knowledge work as, as someone who defines what their work is on some level, right? They're the one who defines what the task is. Um, my definition, I would, I would just say, take it, take it a little further, is just that knowledge work is really any, any job that's driven primarily by you. Yeah, you're adding value and information and ideas. But really, you are defining what the job is. Otherwise, they wouldn't be paying your insurance, right? If they could bring somebody in to just run scripts and GIMP, like, why would they pay your insurance? GIMP. But, um, <laughs> is that right? Kind of? I mean, and have you, have you not seen this happen already, where somebody does something that eventually got replaced by a shell script? Because I think the best thing that any knowledge worker can ask is, at what point can I be replaced by a robot, a monkey, or a shell script? <laughs> Particularly with regard to stuff like email. I'm just going to toss this in. Um, it's not that hard to make a bash script that checks email. It's better at it than you, really. Until the bash script gets really good at processing it and turning it into awesome stuff, it's going to be better than you at email if you're just checking. That's a side note, a freebie. <laughs> I think it's a little bit harrowing to do any kind of knowledge work. And people who don't find that harrowing and roll their eyes probably aren't very good at what they do. If you're not a little bit scared about whether you're learning enough quickly enough, whether you're getting enough experience, whether you're doing the right things, I want you to be nervous. I want you to be pants-shittingly nervous because that means you care. If you don't care, then why are you in this room? Why don't, why don't you just go like work in some mill, right? Don't you eventually want to make something that you're really proud of and make something where you go, yeah, I worked on that. I mean, Tom Coates has done like seven things like this. I don't know, it's kind of annoying. But um, <laughs> seriously, I mean, Tom's made stuff that people use and like do stuff with. I mean, isn't that kind of the goal? When, when somebody <laughs> once or twice a year comes up to me and says that they really like this thing I did and it's helped them with, wow, that is like just the best thing in the world. But in the same way that my friend couldn't just learn Photoshop and then stop, I think there's a real value in keeping your ears open for what that next thing might be. And reaching out to people outside of your own specific area, including your customers and clients. And when I say clients, I mean that in the kind of not agile sense. But you know, could be an internal client, could be an external client. Because um, nothing bugs a nerd more than having to explain how somebody's wrong. And they not only don't understand why they're wrong, but they kind of don't care that they're wrong. So frustrating, right? I started getting this 
as early as 1995, when nobody really needed a web page. Not really, you know, really. You didn't really need a web page. But, you know, I was able to get a little bit of work, but that's when I first learned about, you know, the Frankensteins. Well, first of all, never show a client like four of anything. Why don't you take the, you know, get the Times New Roman from number one and the pencil HR from number two and the spiral ring binder from number four and <laughs> let's see what that looks like for $15 an hour. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. But uh, there's that old quote from Henry Ford that may be apocryphal, but it, it doesn't matter because it's perfect. And he said if I'd asked my customers what they want, they would say they wanted a faster horse. And I think that tells us a lot about how you end up making great stuff if you're a nerd. Because if you're a nerd and you go to that next level, you become a nerd who also hears what other people are saying. And you can anticipate, almost like a French waiter. You can learn to anticipate what they want before they can, no, not, not in the jerk way. I know, you guys have a pretty contentious relationship with the French. I do too. By the way, I had like five Neville Chamberlain jokes and I'm not telling any of them. Maybe one. Um, but when you see the people who really excel where you work, you see the people you really admire and the people that you really want to be like. For myself, I, I see these people who aren't just sitting around like reading you know, futurism magazines, but I'm seeing people who are going out and like meeting other people and doing stuff and then figuring out what can I do today to start expressing that as a thing that I make, but then also how can I just keep walking in these, kind of this, these paths that seem interesting. Um, and I think, I think if you do that a lot, you also develop a little bit of a, I hate this word so much, entrepreneurial spirit, not in the douche way, but in the sense of having a stake, right? I mean, the stuff you really care about, the projects you really care about, the stuff you stay up weekends working on for your rent fair or whatever the fuck you do, like you do that because you care intensely about it, right? I think one of the problems with a lot of businesses, one of the reasons that a lot of you are right now sitting there probably thinking about like what kind of work you'd really like to do is we don't all care about the same things and we're not all nerdy about the same things. And that working in some companies, let's be honest, you get to a point where you go into maintenance mode and you're not going to get to do a lot of cool new wireframes and you're not going to get to do user testing, right? Maybe a maintenance-based management starts moving in and filling that poor sign obese middle that every company seems to eventually get. You start having more mortar than bricks. The original wizards that made the place great are vesting and leaving. Bye-bye. You know? Uh, one way to keep a nerd really happy is, is, is to get a nerd to feel that sense of entrepreneurship even if they don't have any good reason to. And I, this is one way I think developers in particular and designers to some extent really are different. I get laughed out of the room with clients when I say this, but I'm like, if you think money is going to make a developer happy, then by itself, you don't understand developers. I mean, that's like saying you could pay a, pay a, pay a painter to never paint again and they'd be happy. Well, they have money, but they wouldn't be happy because they like to paint. You know, developers and designers, too, they're like dogs. They're like border collies. You've got to give them a job. Otherwise, they'll just kind of be really annoying, right? You've got to give them a job. Or they'll start... <laughs> you guys ever have a border collie? Border collie will, like, will grab your kid's ass and like, pull them back in the yard. I mean, they're, they're crazy. They're very, very type A dogs. But how much time have I got? Oh, good. Perfect. Okay, we've got another hour. So... Uh... <laughs> I'm going to wrap this up, and then hopefully we'll all go have a drink, and I hope you'll say hello. It would mean a lot to me. Tom. <laughs> See, I just did it. Now I'm a dick. Um, I'm glad that some of you are nerds. Not all of you are nerds, but um, I think there's something about the nerd spirit that is really buoyant. <clears throat> and 
Um, this is a little bit hippie, but um, this knowledge work stuff is hard because it happens in our head, right? It's not like a Richard Scary book. You can't look at me and tell that I, you know, I got a fireman hat and a fireman coat, so I'm either like a fetishist or a fireman, right? <laughs> you guys know these Richard Scary books, right? So you got like every, you can tell what everybody does for four reasons: they get a hat, they get a uniform, they get a tool, and they get an English language word by their foot that says what they do. So what would the Richard Scary book for your office look like? Right? Could somebody walk in and start just drawing? No. I mean, for me, like, this book would be basically 60 pages of pudgy uh, cartoon mice with big dark lines under their eyes with headphones on typing. Because <laughs> that's what almost every job looks like. That's what I look like. Are you making there? I'm a Rails program? No, I'm a farmer. No, I mean, like, it all, it all looks the same. And that really is the heart of the problem in some ways. I know you get this, but I really want you to think about this. People can't tell what you do, and it may be really hard for them to even know whether you're really good at it, let alone that you care a lot about it. And as a designer, I just made this up in my hotel room, so it's probably bullshit. But <laughs> it seems to me like the job of a designer is, to the extent possible, um, make it impossible for something to be misunderstood. The job of a designer, in some ways, is to make something as unambiguous as possible, unless that ambiguity is a game or something, right? I'm sure you guys will come up with something. But right? Isn't that kind of the idea? I mean, again, not, not to kiss Apple's ass, but I mean, it just seems to me that if you can hand a device to either an infant or a 90-year-old man, and they can both use it without ever having touched a computer, that's a pretty good sign that something went into that that was successful. I will note at this point that the iPad and the iPhone are not the result of asking people what they wanted. To follow on John's fantastic presentation about auteurs, the real opportunities are not in chasing a commodity. The real opportunities are in doing the thing that you are uniquely capable of. So don't rule out your nerdiness as a potential business idea, just for what it's worth. But people can't see. You've got to listen, and you've got to talk, and you've got to do all that annoying stuff that nerds don't like to do with other people. <laughs> You'd rather just sit there in, in whatever mutt and just you know, tag email all day. But you know, eventually, you've got to come out of your hole and, 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 and meet the other folks. And they're not that bad. They're not that bad. You don't have to be with them the whole time. The meeting will end eventually, <laughs> I'm told. But um, I think there is a challenge there and an opportunity. And by that, I mean the, really the big kahuna in the middle of all of this is that you actually can't get better just by yourself. You, can't, you get stuck at this, what the Dreyfus brothers call the advanced beginner level, where you feel like you know stuff about stuff. Like you've read some stuff on Lifehacker and you went to Stack Overflow and like now you're a PHP expert, even though you've never shipped anything. Well, be careful that you don't fill yourself up with non-nutritional tips and tricks all day. Spend some time with the people who are really, really good at what you do that, that don't think you're too much of an annoying nerd to hang out with. And start listening to a, whatever advice is the most painful to listen to is probably the advice that's worth listening to just a little bit. Because if advice really just makes you feel good, it's probably bullshit or an ad. All the best advice that I've ever gotten hurt a lot at the time because it hurts to grow, even if you're a nerd. So I would say start looking for the opportunities that you can handle in your own terms, have a Xanax or whatever helps you. <laughs> but start looking for these opportunities to make these connections with other people and start looking for the kinds of input that will let you know whether your nerdery is still going in the right direction. You can always do it for fun. But I really honestly believe that there are opportunities out there for nerds that are not out there for other people. Because we'll work harder, we'll work longer, we don't need to change our clothes or shower. <laughs> uh, 
we, we don't have date, dates to distract us, you know? <laughs> the joy of junior high is not something that will impinge upon our work. Not that I'm bitter. <laughs> but I do think there's opportunities there. Um, and I, seriously, I swear to God, the best stuff that ever happens, like those nerds over at the, at the Yahoo, <laughs> the, little, the, little, the sweet little deserted islands of wonderfulness at Yahoo that people like Tom have, have inhabited, I think I, he'd be the professor, I think, on that island. But um, that's a Gilligan's Island reference. I think the great stuff happens, though, when you get nerds where there's just enough overflow and what their obsessions are that they can have these conversations, right? What makes being a nerd hard? Nobody cares as much as you, and they don't really understand the difference between the blue lightsaber and the green lightsaber, and they don't care. But if you get somebody who at least knows what a lightsaber is, you can, you can at least have a pretty interesting conversation, even if you don't agree on Darth Maul or whatever. Because those people are out there. And God knows it's true that there's never been an easier or better time to find the people that are out there. So my, my advice, such as it is, is um, to keep doing what you're doing and to keep being awesome nerds, um, but to keep your eyes and ears open for the next thing you might want to be nerdy about that just doesn't seem like something you want to be nerdy about yet. So keep making great stuff, and uh, thanks very much for coming out.